Amen. Amen. I want to thank the Schoenweiss family for leading us this morning. If you're here for Christmas Eve, I appreciate them leading us in the family service on Christmas Eve. It was a wonderful time, and hopefully you were able to make it to one of our three Christmas Eve services. Well, good morning. My name is uh, Jared Ott, and it's great to be with you here at uh, Christ Church on, as Pastor Barry said, our last Sunday in 2013. And uh, we are starting a new series today called Out with the Old. And then we will finish it next week with In with the New, as uh, Dr. John Guest will be here to, to speak on that and preach on that. So before we look at this passage this morning, will you pray with me? God, we thank you for today, Father. We thank you for the Show and Ice family leading us, Father. We thank you for other musicians. Father, and singers this morning for using their service to glorify you. Father, thank you for what you teach us in your word. Father, as we come to a close of another year, Father, and we, many of us will look back at our, at our year, Father, and really examine our lives to see where we are, Father, before we begin anew next year. Father, help us to do so uh, this morning and this week, Father. And Father, help us to make healthy changes uh, as we approach the next year, Father, and help us to not be held back by anything. Father, thank you for your word and what you can teach us in your word. Father, I pray that you use my lips and speak through me. Use my heart, Father, that it is your heart. And Father, that I pray that we are not just hearers of the word, but we are doers of it as well. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you. As, as, uh, as we mentioned before, this is the last Sunday, and as we make preparations for the, for the new year, you can see that there's, there's a lot of looking back. There's a lot of looking back over this past year. And many people uh, examine their lives. You see this on TV a lot or on the news or on the Internet. They, they kind of reexamine what has happened in the past year in an effort to make changes for the future. And we, we do this a lot. a lot. Many of us will make uh, New Year's resolutions uh, this week. Uh, and, and they're all different. Uh, some are, are spiritual uh, resolutions. People will say they're going to go to church more, or maybe they're going to read their Bible more, or pray more, or be more intentional about evangelism. Uh, some people will say that they're going to uh, be a better parent uh, and spiritually lead their children. So there's a lot of spiritual resolutions. There's also a lot of mental uh, resolutions. People will say, I'm going to read a book, or I'm going to go to school. And there's a lot of that. Many of them are physical, though, aren't they? We are very familiar with these. People are shaking their head going, yes, uh, this is the last Sunday that I can really pig out before my New Year's resolution of, of losing weight. Some people want to break a bad habit, but the most common one is what? I'm going to, to lose weight. I was speaking to somebody just this past week about New Year's resolution, and they said, uh, you know, Jared, I, I, even though I know I need to lose 30 pounds, my New Year's resolution is just to simply eat healthier. As I probed further, I'm not sure why I did. Uh, it was the pastor counselor came out, and I asked, well, why isn't your New Year's resolution just to lose 30 pounds then, if that is really what you need to do? Why not make that your New Year's resolution, if that's your ultimate goal? And they said, well, I can't do that because I break that every year. I, I never get there. I always make that same resolution, so this year I'm just going to lower the standards a little bit just to say I can eat healthier. We do this a lot, don't we? Lower our expectations in effort to meet them. I'm going to lower my, my, my goal of what I, what I know should be a, a good change in my life in an effort to meet them. I challenged this person, again, not sure why I continued on the conversation with them, but I challenged this person. I said, you know, 
The problem is that you can't lose weight. The problem is that you don't think that you have the ability to. Then I probed them further. I said, maybe instead of a New Year's resolution of, of eating healthier, maybe your New Year's resolution should be not to live in a, in a self-imposed state of guilt that you can't make any positive changes in your life, to live a certain way. Then once you break that, that bondage of guilt, then you can make the real goal of losing 30 pounds. Because all your life you're saying, listen, I can't do something. I can't live a certain way because of my past, because of how I used to live. So I'm just going to lower my standards. And they live in a sense of guilt. I said, once you do that, Maybe your self-confidence will go up again. You see, failure after failure, people do this. They look back at their life and they see all the failures that they had. Become so riddled with guilt, they say, you know, I can't make any positive change for the future. When it comes to our spiritual walk, this is exactly the same thing. When we say out with the old, in with the new. People do this all the time. They look at their past and they say, you know, how I lived a certain way, maybe this past year, or maybe for the past few years. Maybe you've been a a Christian for a long time. Maybe you just became a Christian throughout this past Christmas season. Either way, you'll look back at your life and say, you know what, I, I, I haven't lived very good. I'm not really worth much. So I, I really can't serve. I can't be a representative to God. I can't be an ambassador to God. I can't, how could I go out and tell people about Christ when, if people look at my life? How could I serve in any kind of ministry because of how I live my life? How could I be a good parent? Parents do this all the time. How could I tell my kids not to do something or to live a certain way when I haven't lived that way myself? So what we do is we lower our expectations. Let me encourage you that this passage, when we understand what Christ did for us, what reconciliation really is, we can get past that. What Paul's saying in this passage that we read in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, out with the old, out with the the old way of living, in with the new. But the only way that we can do that, the only way that we can go out with the old is say, you know what, that's all behind me. God, Christ has washed me clean of that. And I don't need to hold my sin against myself because he doesn't do that for me. That's the only way they'll make positive changes. And we all want to make positive changes in our life and our spiritual walk. So as we look at this passage, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. We're in 2 Corinthians 5. It's also in your service sheets as well. But as you look at the background of this, you see that, you know, the first verse there in, in verse 16, it says, Paul says, from now, on we regard, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once were regarded in Christ with this way, we do so no longer. We didn't have a chance to really dive into the whole chapter, but Paul was really referring back to, to uh, verses 14 and 15 when he became a Christian himself, the, the new life that he had when he became a Christian, when he received uh, salvation. He no longer uh, looked at people a certain way. He no longer evaluated people on an external basis. He also looked at Christ differently too. He didn't look as him as just a man. He understood that he was a savior, saved him from his sin. And then he says in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. You see, when we accept Christ, when we understand that we've confessed our sins and we ask him to come into our life, a transformation happens, a new birth happens. And we put put on a new self. Everything changes. The old things have passed away. Our old ideas, our values, our traditions, our inclinations, our truth about things, they all have passed away. 
Their perspective is nourished and developed and helps believers gain victory in the battle against sin and guilt and conforms us into the likeness of Christ. So the old is gone, the new has come. This is what reconciliation does. It gives us a new perspective. So what is reconciliation? Reconciliation really is a relationship, a restored relationship with Christ. That's what he does. He restored the relationship. Sin separated us from God. He came to be the sacrifice so we could have a restored relationship. So how do we do this? See, there are many who have been reconciled with Christ for a number of years. Many of us who maybe just this past Christmas season for, for the first time. And we all need to make changes for life to live better, to live more righteously. We all need to be ambassadors. But to do this, we need to put off the old and on with the new. In order to do that, we need to understand what re- reconciliation really is. What is that re- relationship restored? How do we put off the new and put, on the, put off the old and put on the new? The first one is that reconciliation, understand that first, reconciliation requires the will of God. The will of God. Verse 18 says, all this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All of this is from God. We could never have restored the relationship ourselves. There's nothing we could do. There's nothing that we could have earned. No good behavior that we could do to restore the relationship. It all came from God. That's why Colossians 1:21 says, once we were alienated from God and we were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior. But now he reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present to present you holy in the sight without blemish and free from accusation. Reconciliation is not something that we do. It's not something we accomplish, but something we embrace. It's not something we accomplish, but something we embrace. It was once said that reconciliation does not happen when man decides stop, to stop rejecting God, but when God stops God decides to stop rejecting man. Reconciliation occurs because Christ washed us clean. He removed our sin as far as the east is from the west, as it says in the Psalms. And in Micah, it says he cast all our sins into the depths of the sea and cast all their sins behind their back, it says in Isaiah. That's what reconciliation, it's from him. To give us what, as it says in verse, as it says in verse seventeen, there the ministry of record eighteen, the ministry of reconciliation. What is ministry? Ministry is the word diconia, which means humble service. So we can be a servant to Him, so we can use our gifts for Him to be ambassador, to be a representative. It all came from God, though. We first have to understand that, that in order to make changes in our life, that reconciliation in our life, the guilt that we have in our past, it all comes from God. He washed us clean. Reconciliation comes from him. We have to first understand that. It's nothing we've done. Which leads to the second point. Reconciliation requires the act of forgiveness. Reconciliation requires the act of forgiveness. Verse 19. It says that God was reconciled the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now this is a tough verse. This is a very tough verse, as you see there. The phrase, reconciling the world. This must not be understood from a a universalism perspective. Scripture does teach that Christ died for the whole world. That's what we see John the Baptist declares that, Behold the Lamb of the God who takes away the sins of the world. John 3.16, For God so loved the world. The Bible also calls Jesus the Savior of the world. 
First Timothy 2 says he gave himself as a ransom for all. But that, those passages don't mean in a universal sense that everybody is saved. And that everybody will spend eternity with him. Because the Bible teaches that some will, many will, spend eternity in hell apart from him. So the question is, if the Bible teaches that Christ died for all, but the Bible also teaches that many won't ever be restored in a relationship with him, how do we make sense of that verse? We have to understand that Christ did not die for all men without exception, but for all men without distinction. You see, the world in this context indicates the sphere in which the reconciliation takes place. It denotes the class of being with whom God seeks reconciliation. So Christ's death does have sufficiency to pay the penalty for the sins of many, or as few as God saves. But the intrinsic merit of Christ's death is unlimited. The offer of salvation goes out to all men who seek repentance. That's why Acts 17.30 says, In the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the men he appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. See, although the gospel is offered to all, Christ's death atones for the sins of those who believe and seek repentance. Thus are reconciled to him. That's why I love when Peter asked the question, Jesus, how many times do I forgive, forgive somebody? Seven? More than three, as the Old Testament teaches. How about seven? Let's double it plus one. Seven? And Jesus says, no, you forgive somebody 70 times seven. Why? Because Christ died for us first. We forgive. We may never be reconciled to them, but we forgive. I tell this to couples all the time. Pastor Barry and I do a lot of marital counseling. One of the things we hear all the time is, I'm not going to forgive my spouse because they are not asking for, for, for forgiveness. I say, well, you, you forgive them whether or not they're seeking forgiveness or not. You forgive them. Why? Because Christ died for us first. Then, then the relationship is reconciled. If someone cuts me off in a car, I forgive them. I may never be restored with them, but I forgive them. I may never have a good relationship with that person, but I forgive them. That's what reconciliation does. That's why people need to go to him. That's why it says, God overlooks such ignorance. He commands all people everywhere to repent. We repent and confess our sins to him. Notice the phrase, though, not counting their sins against them. This does not mean that reconciliation is a license to sin either. People will look at that verse and go, oh, well, my sins are forgiven. I can live any way I want to now. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So we have new ideas, new values, new beliefs. We have a new way of living. So we have to be careful. Because there is a, there is a big difference from a healthy conviction of sin. We believers know this. When we sin, we have a conviction of that sin. And an unhealthy conviction of guilt from the devil who keeps us in bondage from doing anything good. We have to understand the difference. While we don't have time to, to unpack this all at once, I want to give you a quick snapshot, because some people will ask, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between guilt and a healthy conviction? Here's a couple things. The characteristics of an unhealthy conviction. Unhealthy conviction, it's vague. You can't grab a hold of the issue. It's also harassing. 
seeks no constructive good in your life. It's despairing. It seeks to preoccupy it and magnify it. It's deceitful. It's also many things at one time. Some people can't put a pinpoint how they've lived a certain way, how, why they feel so guilty. Because it's many things at one time. And also it leaves us in bondage, that we can't do anything good, that we could never make good changes, we could never live rightly, we could never make spiritual improvements in our life to live righteously. So what's a healthy conviction? A healthy conviction is it's clear and specific. When we sin, we understand it. It's helpful, it's hopeful, it's truthful. It's also one thing at a time. And it results in freedom. We understand, listen, I've sinned, I've done this thing, confess that to the Lord, I'm going to change. The old is gone, the new has come. That's the difference between a healthy conviction and an unhealthy conviction from the devil, which leads us in guilt. It pushes us to stay caught in the bondage of doing anything good. As I talked about already, this is what parents do all the time. Parents, you, you, I'm sure many of you have said this, how could I teach my kid to do good if I wasn't good? And I tell you, that can't be furthest from the truth. That would be like Pastor Barry and myself not talking about sin because we've had sin in our past. We understand the old has gone, the new has come. But see, that guilt leaves us in bondage, doesn't it? That's why I love John Piper, who says, The great tragedy of life is that Satan uses the guilt of your failures and sins to strip you of every radical dream you ever had or might have, and in its place gives you a happy, secure, safe American life of superficial pleasures until you die in your lakeside rocking chair, wrinkled and useless, leaving a big fat inheritance to your middle-aged children to conform them in their worldliness. That's the main tragedy. See, as parents, we do this. We do this with our family members. We say, there's no way I can teach you about the love of Christ. There's no way I can teach you about living righteously. There's no way I can condemn the sin in your life because I have sinned in my past. And what happens is, is every generation that goes on, people don't want to say it. People don't want to talk about it because they're riddled with guilt. And so every generation gets worse and worse and worse and worse. That's why the story of the woman caught in adultery is so powerful. If you remember the story, there was a woman caught in adultery and she was brought out in front of all those people all the Pharisees and all the teachers, and they say, Jesus, shouldn't she deserve death? So Jesus writes down and starts writing in the dust, if you remember. And he says, those that, that, are, that are, are, aren't guilty, that have no sin, you throw the first stone. And so they all left. And Jesus is standing there with the woman. And what does he say to her? He says, go and sin no more. Does no one condemn you? He says. She says, no one. He says, well, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What would happen to that woman? What would have happened to her life if she was riddled with guilt for the rest of her life on that? That one issue. Jesus says, put off the old, put on the new. And don't let that guilt hold on to you for the rest of your life. You can make changes Go and sin no more. Boy, I bet standing in front of Jesus, she felt the conviction to live righteously, to go and sin. And what celebration that is. We should have that celebration as well. That's why David wrote in the Psalm 32, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. 
So that's what we do. We need to understand that Jesus is not holding our sins against us. If we confess those sins, he's not holding us, those against us, so you shouldn't either. I've told people this before who, who are living in a sense of guilt. I say, you know, you can live in that sense of guilt that you can't make any good changes for the future. But you're holding your own guilt against you. So in a sense, you're playing God. So stop it. Because you're not God. He's not holding his sins against you, so you shouldn't either. You can make changes. You can live rightly. You can make changes spiritually in your life. Stop holding your sins against you. Because reconciliation, God, wash that clean. So if it's the will of God, it's the act of forgiveness. So what is the third point? What is the third thing? The reconciliation requires faith and action. It should move us and motivate us to do certain things, to live a certain way. That's why the next verse there. It says, we therefore are Christ's ambassadors. Verse 20, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So once we understand it's the will of God, it's the act of forgiveness, we can be an ambassador. What's an ambassador? A message for and a representative of the one who sent him, us. That's who we are. We're messengers. We're, representative of, we're representatives. We are also what do ambassadors, they, they live in foreign lands. That's why First Peter says, we are aliens and strangers. We live in foreign lands. Why? Because we are ambassadors of Christ, the one who sent us. We are representative of him. So we need to do that. We need to go. We need to share the love of Christ. We need to talk about how reconciliation washes us clean. We need to start living righteously. We need to start telling others about Christ. Because who will do it if we don't? That's why Romans 10 says, For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call if they have not believed in him? And how can they believe the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those bringing the good news. We're ambassadors. We're ambassadors. Do you know that, church? That Christ washed us clean. It's an act of forgiveness. We don't need to be held back by doing things or being a certain way or living the way Christ wants us to live by spreading the gospel because of our past. We're ambassadors. And it says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled. This imploring or begging to people to be reconciled makes it clear that the sinner's never delivered from wrath and judgment to blessings and reward for that personal response to the truth of the gospel. We are Christ's ambassadors to bring obedience of faith among the Gentiles for his name's sake. This, this is the same, it's, it's, the, it's the great commissioning. Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. There is no higher calling we have as Christians, as believers. No more urgent task than to do that, to be ambassadors to put off the old and put on the new. It's an act of God. It's an act of forgiveness that pushes us to be able to do and live a certain way. So my question to you, church, as we look at the beginning of a new year, are you able to put off the old and put on the new? Are you able to break the bondage of guilt that really pushes you to be an ambassador, to be representative, to use your gifts for his kingdom, to evangelize to the people around you, to start living rightly, righteously, and spiritually as parents, teaching your kids, despite where you've been in the past, 
Are you able to break that bondage of guilt to be able to move forward and be God, who God has commanded us to be, representatives and ambassadors, and point others to Christ? I leave you with a, a story of a, that I read in Leadership Magazine by a man by the name of Stephen Cole. He was talking about a, a youngster with a slingshot. And this youngster with a slingshot couldn't hit his target. He kept slinging the slingshot and couldn't hit the target. And he was at his grandmother's house. And he was in his grandmother's backyard and he spied the grandmother's duck. And he took one aim and he actually hit the duck right in the head and killed it. On impulse, he panicked. And he hid the bird in the woodpile, only to look up and see his sister watching. After lunch that day, Grandma told his sister Sally to help with the dishes. Sally responded, Johnny said he wanted to help in the kitchen today. (laughs) Didn't you, Johnny? And then she whispered him, remember the duck. So Johnny did the dishes. What choice did he have? For several weeks, he was in the kitchen often. Sometimes because of it was duty, but most of the times it was because of his sin. Remember the duck, Sally would whisper. So weary of his chore, Johnny decided that any punishment would be better than washing the dishes every night. So he confessed the killing the duck to his grandmother. He said, Grandmother, I killed your duck that day. Surprised by the grandmother's response, the grandmother said, I know, Johnny. Giving him a hug, I was standing at the window and saw the whole thing. But because I love you, I forgave you. I just wondered how long you would let Sally make a slave out of you. See, the boy was forgiven, but he was held down by his, his sin, his guilt. And it made a slave of him. He was pardoned, but he thought he was guilty. Why? Because he listened to the words of the accuser. You're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. See, we do this too. We think we're guilty, we're guilty, we're guilty. But once we understand reconciliation, we understand that Christ washed that clean. And we can put off the old and put on the new. And Satan can't accuse us any longer. No one can accuse us. Fingers may point and voices may demand, but the charges glance off us like arrows hitting a shield. No more dirty dishwasher. No more penance. No more nagging sisters. We've stood before Christ and we've heard him declare, not guilty. Now go and live differently and sin no more, but be careful to not hold your sin against you because I don't count your sin against you either. Church, my encouragement and prayer as we enter the new year, as we seek to to make changes in our life, to live righteously, to use our gifts for his service, to evangelize those around us, to preach the gospel, to be the ambassadors and representatives. The only way we can put put off the old and put on the new is realize that our guilt needs to go away. And understand that Christ paid the penalty. And he doesn't count our sins against us. So we shouldn't count our sins against us either. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Father, thank you for what you can teach us in your word. Father, thank you for the, the gift of reconciliation, Father, that is, it was your will, that it was an act of forgiveness, Father. Father, and that it push, should push us to action. Father, to be ambassadors, to be representatives for you in all areas of our life, whether it's at our workplace, whether it's in our home life, whether it's here at church, Father, help us to use our gifts for you. Help us to be able to 
evangelize to those around us, Father, when we feel the Spirit leading. And Father, as we look at the new year, I do ask that we can really put off the old and not have any guilt and bondage of guilt so that we can, in fact, put on the new. Thank you for today, Father. Thank you for loving us. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.